0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: So with your hosts,
0: Jason Diaz and Tim Minnichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of said union, I like using that word said Said. because it's underappreciated in that context.
0: (laughs) It is, it is. Speaking of said union. Maybe because we don't live in the 1800s, but. Boulder Dash.
2: <laughs> we have a returning guest. She's been here before, multiple times, has joined us for roundtables, has joined us for album selections. Uh, last year it was the Alabama Three. Before that it was Fastballs, All the Pain Money Can Buy. Also joined us for our Nirvana episode on Nevermind, our Muse in the 90s roundtable, uh, a couple of Thankful episodes, Guilty Pleasures. Welcome back, Marissa Buxbaum. Thank
1: How are you, doing, Marissa? I, I'm great. Um, that that I feel like that selection is either very representative of my tastes or skewed in some bizarre way.
2: <laughs> I feel like it's, it's representative. Yeah, I know. I feel like we just did that Alabama with Three album not too
0: long ago. I know. Ago. I know. If you asked me when when did we do that, I would have said like oh three months ago.
1: It feels like yesterday. This this uh, this year flew by.
2: That was November of 2021. So almost a year. See, the thing is about the pi- the patrons that maybe people don't know is they all basically joined in the same month. But I got to weirdly <laughs> spread them out because we can't do 25 episodes in a single month to satisfy everybody's picks. So sometimes it's going to be like November. Other times it to be August. Which is however the the dole, the die roll. When I, I was I, like,
1: really? The time has come already? But um, I'm- yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad for it because I, I started revisiting this record um, as early as this past spring, thinking about, you know, what it is I wanted to say about it and how it felt to me something like 18 or 19 years down the line, however long it's been since I first discovered it. So good timing.
2: Share with that. Uh, share what that album is with everybody.
1: Uh, this is Visual Audio Sensory Theater by Vast, which came out in 1998, and I personally discovered it, and I want to say 2004 or 2005.
2: Okay. Jay, you're familiar with Vast, right? Boom. He's got the album. This is right.
1: This
0: is a pre-release EP Oh, that has four songs on it, the first four songs of the record. So yeah, I picked this up before the record came out they did this as a promo and I picked it up in a cutout of bin, I think <laughs> it was like interesting album cover. And I picked and said, why not I'll spend two bucks and took it home and um, gotten into the, this EP. And I think within a couple of weeks, the full record was out. And but I don't s- think I followed the band after this. This is really the only album I know.
2: Yeah. It was this album. And then I didn't, I didn't, check anything out after this record. But I had listened to it around the same time you did uh, when it came out. Cause we were just like buying dollar records or $2 right. CDs out of bins all the time. And just being like, oh, I don't know what this is, but the cover's cool.
1: Once again, right. then I am here to represent the, uh, the hardcore fan who went well beyond that first album and got sucked into the rest of them. This actually might be the one that I, in terms of my active listening habits, I revisit the least. Uh, I think Nude is probably number one, followed by Music for People. So trying to bring that context to the discussion.
2: Well, we got some comments over at our Patreon page. We sure did. <laughs> we got a lot. People were very very uh, talkative about this record. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about their votes at the end of the show when we share our ratings. But uh, here's what some people said. Bill Davidson said... There's a deliberate mood and pacing on this album that I think requires all 12 tracks. Anything shorter wouldn't have the impact. Industrial isn't my bag, but this is a good representation of the genre. John Crosby seems less intense than Al Jorgensen and Trent Reznor. Richard Waterman said, great pick, Marissa. You stuck to your word. Look forward to some John Crosby stories from when you saw them live. Some have described Vast as industrial, but that's pretty loose term, in my opinion. To me, they're just a rock or alternative rock band. You have some good examples of electronica and sampling, especially the eastern tinge of some of the songs. And of course, we have some Benedictine monks. Looking forward to what Tim and Jay think about the chanting. I really like the dramatic, melancholic, atmospheric, and dark vibe. John Crosby's voice always reminds me of Jim Morrison, which I like. Lyrics are questionable at some points, but that's a minor quibble for me. Marissa will explain all much better than I Take it away, Marissa.
1: Oh my gosh. We'll we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think it's very funny um, that it's described as industrial because to, at least to my ear, it's anything but. And when I think industrial, I think of like, you know, throbbing gristle or or skinny puppy. Um, This is so not in the realm of that to me. When I hear it, I hear like, 90s alt rock, Hans Zimmer or goth U2, Moby goes to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, It's it has these these moments of propulsive, like electronic aggression. um, But the whole conceit of industrial music is that it's it's uh, mechanical in a a kind of transgressive way, and and everything that Vast does, even when they're using technology. I don't want to say that it's archaic, but they're they're using it in kind of a a stripped down fashion. And then paradoxically, they blow it out into this, like, grand sweeping uh, orchestral thing. But the component parts are very organic. Um, We'll save some of
2: that. Save some of that for when we get to what we liked and what we didn't like.
0: (laughs) Pump your brakes. Yeah, pump
2: pump the brakes there. (laughs) I know you're I know you're excited um because we got to talk about gavin's comment uh Uh, on the flip side he said i've given this a decent single because i actually want the intensity of the music uh, uh, of industrial elements it's well done and i get the impression it's exactly what they set out to achieve but for me nine inch nails style elevator music is the answer to a question nobody asked
1: (laughs) yeah i love a good burn even if i don't agree with it and that one's great so (laughs) that's a good burn
2: Carl F. said, I voted worthy the album, but I think it may be two better EPs. The first four songs or so have tremendous energy. The back half is more mellow and ambient. Touched is one of my favorite songs. At first, I thought there was an album to avoid a custom rating for me, like Pirated Download or Beverage Coaster. Ian <laughs> McIver. He says, after initial play, though, I thought it was a worthwhile listen. However, it failed the most crucial test, holding up to repeat listens. If I heard a couple of singles back in the 90s, I may have even bought the album, but it would have been quickly forgotten to become a desk collector. The youth of John Crosby really shows with him and his band using different different musical styles with mixed results. And I sampled later works which show he will find his quote-unquote voice. He goes into a lot more, but I'll, I'll say, he says, I'm sure Marissa, with her infectious passion for music, will convince me otherwise to bump up the needle, but for me, it's a better EP. Um... Jeff Gentis said after a couple listens, I'm determined, I have determined this is not my speed, but I wonder if Marissa and the boys can discuss this can fairly be called light industrial or industrial light, but that sounds like insulting uh, or
1: adult industrial alternative.
2: And Willie Dillon said, I think it's pretty neat.
1: Thanks, Willie.
2: Which sounds like a kid who just got served up some mozzarella sticks at. uh,
1: He should, he should come on for the next Ska episode whenever you do that. <laughs> there
2: you go. There you go. Uh, just a little background, and maybe you can chip in a little bit on this. Uh, the, the John Cosby's name's been thrown around. He's from Petaluma, California. He actually began making music at the age of 13, and he was in Guitar Player magazine at that age um, as a promising guitarist of the future. He... Uh, did home recordings with guitars and drum machines. And um, he left high school to study and begin his own band to do home study, uh, which he, he called his band Vast. And um, he sent demo tapes to radio stations and record labels, and he got in contact with Electra Records.
1: Yeah, I think originally when he at least was doing the demo for visual audio sensory theater his his goal was just to get a cheap publishing deal um and he had no idea that there was going to be any label interest
2: oh interesting okay
1: yeah i think so, he just wanted to finance like a, a you know get a band together and do a do a small regional tour
2: so the debut came out in april 1998 it was produced by john crosby as well as uh, frederick mayer and um it ended up getting some recognition in terms of there were some singles, but also there some songs used on uh, the TV show Angel, and it was used into the film uh, Step Into the Liquid, which is a surfing documentary.
1: Oh, that's right. And I think, I think one of the songs might have been used on a trailer for that Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Beach or something. I, maybe I'm misremembering.
2: Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. So, this was followed up in 2000 by Music for the People. That was also on Electric. Then he left Electric, released Nude in 2004 on 456 Entertainment slash SB. Then released Turquoise and Crimson in 2006. April came out in 2007. Me and You came out in 2009. Making Evening and Night in 2014. And then Black Magic in 2018. There's also been a number of other. Like EP releases, digital releases that were later you turned into albums. Live versions. There's like a live at CBGB's, live in Chicago. Yeah, I was at that
1: show. I was 17.
2: You were at the CBGB show. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, about uh, this experience.
1: It was it was fantastic because when I first got into Vast, I was wringing my hands over the fact that there were there was no. There were no tour dates. I could not locate any kind of, you know, live presence to them that that uh, um, like that I could follow um, in the area. Uh, I think it was either 2004 or 2005 that, that my dad like blew me down to Austin to see them because at the time those were the only dates I think he was living there. But eventually he made his way to New York City to play CBGB. And I think the success of that show hinged almost entirely on MySpace, um, social media marketing, which he was, um, at that point cultivating very actively. And, uh, uh, that's how I found out about it was on MySpace. And that might've been actually the last show that I saw at that venue before it, it closed, but it, I, I was stunned by just the, the, Power of the audience response. I mean, everyone was going absolutely nuts. I, for years, I had felt like sort of the only vast fan uh, in the tri-state, and everybody who was there was going bananas. You can hear me screaming on that record. As as much as electronic samples play a role in his uh, production and songwriting, I think the songs translate beautifully live, um, are, are sound best as part of that live rock band format. And I'm really glad that that got, you know, properly recorded and released because that is and and, and the other live in New York city album that he did that I think is from 2009 or so I revisit those the most out of any of his recordings. It's always the live recordings.
2: Interesting. Also interesting. Is that the album Nude, which I mentioned came out on 456 Entertainment, was a record label owned by Carson Daly. Ooh. And uh, John Crosby called the experience. <laughs> well, he didn't have a good time. Why am I Carson surprised. Daly. He said, uh, it was a nightmare. There were so many problems dealing with them on every level. I feel like we made a big mistake not believing in ourselves enough and doing it on our own. So he actually would have just self-released it it was such a nightmare working for Carson Daly's label uh well, sure that's wound- what he
1: wound up doing ultimately is is um pursuing the purely independent route and was doing so in a way that was sort of pre Radiohead in Rainbows Radiohead
2: gotcha yeah because a lot of these albums were like digital EPs only that you could buy mp3s and then he compiled them into albums later that's interesting, and he's also released um, solo work, uh, and he's, he has a band called John Crosby and the Resonator Band. Uh, Much
1: less familiar with that. He he's um, I I'm actually I'm not sure to what extent he is active as a musician. I'm I'm sure that he's still creating stuff and and perhaps releasing it independently, but as far as his live presence, uh, touring and playing shows, I don't think I've heard of anything in at least seven or eight years. I mean, I know he's, he's raising a a daughter and, you know, perhaps he's just, you know, wants to not be running around on the road, which I, I totally understand plenty of rock bands, you know, they, they have kids, families settle down, they go that route, but, um, he's, he's been very quiet. Uh, Is such that, like, I I honestly don't know what he's done after 2010, 2011 or so.
2: So interesting. Obviously, this is late 90s. This didn't come out on vinyl originally. Uh, If you go to the Vast website, which is realvastshop.com, they have, like, when it was repressed in, I think, 20, when was it pressed to vinyl?
1: Like two years ago or something, actually. Well,
2: 2012 was the first one, unless there was another one. It's a double LP. He was selling double LPs for $25. They're sold out now. And if you try to buy them on Discogs now, it's like $250.
1: Oh, shit. Oh, so maybe I'm thinking of like the Record Store Day release that's, that's the one that's a couple years old.
2: Yeah, that was the music for the people. Got it. Okay. Was the Record Store Day release. Um, so let's get into this record, shall we? Jay, tell me one thing you liked about visual, audio, sensory, theater by Vast.
0: I'm a sucker for drama, so this album brings it in so many different ways. Um, You've got the big choruses uh, with the driving uh, drum machines and the heavy guitars, but I think what's what's to me most interesting is, is everything else that's going on. It's almost like that's uh, um, secondary to me. The use of organs and strings, I think, is really cool. They build a lot of tension. Um, I love when he layers in acoustics, too, uh, whether it be for kind of a quieter verse or just kind of you know in there with the chunky guitars. Um, and, and all that comes together to just create so much tension throughout the record uh, where you've got these builds um you have these mood shifts that happen um the the i don't know i, I guess what we're we calling them? monks whatever those the chanting kind of
1: gregorian chanting
0: yeah overdubs are benedictine um, monks yes i love that i mean I, I don't know that everybody can do that but there's something about the way it's introduced on this record that just uh it just takes you to a different place it just brings this like mystery mystique kind of vibe and and in an, it ends up sounding, um, I don't know, to me, like it brings this folky tinge to it. I mean, obviously it's a—it's gothic and, and dark, but it also feels like, I don't know, in a weird way, more human um, than, you know, when they're full on distorted guitars and drum machines. There's this interesting like d- dynamic of hearing those voices layered in that kind of pulls you out of the synthetic and into more of. I think like a more natural kind of feel
2: Jesus Christ,
0: are you the of
1: God?
0: I want to know the last thing I'll mention is just I forgot he's he's a pretty amazing singer um yeah mm-hmm. you know obviously he does some of the Trent Reznor stuff you know the kind of hushed vocal with all the compression on it but I didn't I didn't remember him like really belting it out and and he almost crooning at times like he brings this kind of romantic edge to some of the the verses that um you know, I don't think you hear in some of the contemporary bands that we might talk about, whether it be Nine Inch Nails or even um, um, Stabbing Westward was another band I thought about. I hear more like Depeche Mode-style vocals from time to time throughout this record, which just brings this whole other sensibility to it. And um, melodically, it's really interesting. Uh, he really lays it lays into it on Dirty Hole, Somewhere Else to Be, I'm Dying. I just had totally forgotten about how much uh, the vocal is a huge part of the record. He's not afraid to like cut everything back and you just hear him singing, uh, which is, you know, uh, I think kind of refreshing. And again, it's just one of those like drama builders that happens through the record where he just lays into a part, you know, uh, uh, pushing a lot of air and a lot of emotion. And you just hear his voice, which again, I think um, cuts through some of that synthetic production and just makes it human again so to me the voices his voice and the voice of the samples keep it grounded in this in this space it's uh it's different than i i would consider a lot of industrial you know it feels more real uh in a weird way even though it's a high production yeah, that's value.
1: why the label feels like such a you know kind of a bait and switch guilt by association type of thing you know yeah. you, you you extrapolate on the basis of who you assume the audience for this is going to be
0: right so that's some of the stuff i liked what about you tim
2: well this is like catnip for me in a lot of ways because i really like the the industrial tinged aspect of this album the the looped drums the very um industrial sounding guitars like on uh the first track here that's right in my wheelhouse because I don't really get with super heavy industrial. Um, I'm, I'm definitely more in the commercial space with regards to like Nine Inch Nails and to some respects like ministry and, and that kind of stuff. But when you add in, you know, the, the Benedictine monks of Abbey St. Moore, um, in a in an 18 piece orchestra, like it's, it's not a sampled orchestra. That's a, he got an orchestra to play. Oh, wow. That's awesome. He actually traveled around the world to record the samples. So like, they're not just like pulled off of some record or something. Like he went with a recorder and recorded Benedictine monks. There is a sample that's used. Um, I, the song touched uses a sample of a song called, I'm going to mispronounce this. Zing P, sung by the Bulgarian state television female vocal choir. Quite a mouthful. Yes. Wow. So I just I love the creativeness in bringing in really unusual sounds that you wouldn't find in sort of a mainstream 1998 alternative rock record. Um. Way more now than I would have then. I don't think I would have graduated to that level of appreciation in 1998, but hearing it now, when I've listened to a much wider array of music, like I'm sort of, I sort of giggle a little bit at how ambitious it is for a, you know, a kid, a teenager to be, um, I don't know how old he was at this point, if he was like still in his teens or if maybe he was a 20th at, at this point, based on when he got signed. But to just have this level of ambition for a record, you know it's either going to be really, really cool or just be abysmal. Right. Because when I described it to my wife, I'm like, so it's like industrial, but imagine having Benedictine monks sing on it or, or chant on it and Gregorian chants. Like, it sounds really pretentious. yeah. But it it comes off in a way that, like, why was it this guy doing movie soundtracks for like the last 20 years? For like, a, you know like a Hans Zimmer. Yeah, because, that's
1: exactly the, the origin of that comment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like this, this sounds like totally in that ballpark with regards to these big soundscapes and the ambient aspect of this record, which is, again, not something you heard in, in 1998 from a commercial major label record, unless it was a Moby or, you know, the the one thing that it reminded me of which I wasn't huge into this band, but there were elements that reminded me like typo negative just in terms of it's like sort of gothic, like heavy vibe that it was putting out on certain songs. Um, Obviously it doesn't have the same vocal as the, as the gentleman from typo negative had. right? Um, But it's just, it's so ambitious and I did find that I liked listening to it over and over again. I would just like sort of, put it on. And when I wasn't feeling well over the last couple of days, I was just like lying in bed, just listening to this on repeat, because somehow the like massive nature of this, when you crank it just sort of envelops you, uh, in this strange world that he's created on this record. And it really is an album like through and through this record does not, I think, Need to be parsed by single to me. Like, there are a lot of really cool songs, but I, I can't imagine anything like catching the ear of a teenager in 1998, unless they're a very ambitious listener as a teenager. Um, so, yeah, I, there was a, a ton that I liked about this record. I know you covered that, some of that um, earlier, Marissa, but what are some particular songs and whatnot that um, work best for you?
1: Okay. Well, again, you know, I, I I agree with you completely. This this is a capital A album. Um, it, it's almost difficult for me to listen to it in bits and pieces. Um, and like Jay said, it's just, it's so transportive. It creates a world. It's got this uh primordial yearning, this this um like this primal element. But at the same time, it's almost it's it's platonic. I I view John Crosby's approach to songwriting as like distillation. Um, it's very simple, but I don't mean simple like facile. I mean like driving down to um, the essential core of what transfixes us in a melody or a chord progression. It's it's like mythological, you know, what you love about a fable or a fairy tale. There There is um, like a pursuit of timelessness, I think, musically and lyrically, like a kind of um, classicism to it. And this is also why I think that, uh, contrary to what Rich suggests, that for the most part, the lyrical material has actually aged really well. Um, My first exposure to Vast was through Pretty When You Cry. Um, And I understand the instinct, perhaps, in 2022 to wince at a song like that. But to me, what it's doing is pure, like, Phantom of the Opera, you know what I mean? Or Beauty and the Beast, uh, Hannibal Lecter and Clary Starling. the appeal is so visceral and and so self-evident to me that it requires like zero interrogation um i'm sure that it is a song that's that's grounded in the narrative of, of an actual relationship but the execution of it is not going for realism it's just this pure fantasy and so you know it it it's it becomes almost allegorical you know this is not like mimetic storytelling this is not modernist this is baroque it's it's romantic it's it's like a caravaggio or a turner painting and it's got the same like emotional qualities frankly that that you know are present in the afghan wigs and the twilight singers or even nine inch nails that are very attractive to me it's just that the approach is a little different the structure is a little different um it's it's got this like shameless indulgence to it this this really pure unaffected disarming pursuit of just like catharsis there's zero irony and and i think that um you know it, if if there is no irony there there is none of that like self-consciousness that involvement um at some level in like a meta conversation about genre constructs the industry that you're a part of um the audience that you're trying to speak to at, at least in the nineties that puts you at kind of a disadvantage because I think like one of the hallmarks of, of nineties rock is that it's operating at that level of, of, of meta commentary and kind of in an anxious way that it, it, it conflates a concern with authenticity, with authenticity. Whereas I think that like John Crosby's authenticity is one of, doing whatever the hell you want, regardless of how overblown and ridiculous it is, and not giving a shit what anybody else thinks. Just, you know, flooring the gas pedal in the direction of Edgar Allan Poe or something. And that is the vibe that I I get from this record. And that was what, as like a moody 15, 16-year-old that I was, you know, it was like catnip to me. Same, Same way it was catnip to you.
2: Yeah. You know, what's funny is that you were mentioned about other art forms. Like, to me, this has like a, in a weird way, it's almost like Terrence Malick. And it's, uh, it's, it's so big and it's got so many ideas, but it's also so like singular in its vision that I just have to kind of appreciate it. Um, Yeah. You have to,
1: it's, it's an album you need to surrender to. Right. And, um, you know, like, I, I, I think that it is it's somehow both contrived and like the opposite of contrived you know what i mean like it it it's it's got this ambition but he's so he's so sincere it, the the it's so earnest um and and it 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 really does drive down to me emotionally at that like it 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 feels like a fable or a fairy tale And not like so much of what constitutes '90s rock music, which is yeah, you know the the Radiohead or the Nirvana, and you know there's there's a ryness to it, um, an incision, and and here it's just it's a completely different, it's following a totally different path.
2: Jay, you mentioned "Dirty Hole." I, that to me is like one of the most interesting songs on this record because it's so. First of all, it starts with an organ, which yeah, love it. which I love. I, it's such a yeah. good organ sound.
0: Yeah, I love that. Sound. And
2: then it turns into like this working on a chain gang like yeah. beat with a with these rotating vocals that are like moving in and out. It almost becomes like a round of vocals that are coming in and coming out and he's got multiple harmonies and, and melodies happening at the same time and it all works in a weirdly bizarre way. But like, I can't imagine anyone else pulling that off. Like it's such a weird song, but yet it's so compelling.
0: Yeah. It gets to a like very like bluesy soulfully kind of place. Yeah. Uh, that, that you wouldn't expect. And I think that's where a good example of what I was mentioning earlier where it, the by putting these elements together they suddenly like arrive at this very human sound
1: <laughs> yeah, i think though, that was um know. that's out that's an alan lomax recording i think from sounds yeah. of the south so it's an actual chain gang yeah yeah and that that i guess that is okay that is the one <laughs> that is that is the one song where i feel that at least the lyrical content has not aged particularly well uh like oh no the vagina is a grave uh, ha, ha. It's, it's a little heavy-handed but <laughs> I do think that, like the actual the 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 content of it, the um the the melodies and the samples themselves are totally unassailable. It's a great song.
2: Yeah. Jay, what doesn't work for you on the record? I think when it the
1: the songs
0: or the parts of songs that are more guitar riff driven and, but in particular, um, drum machine driven. Start to become, like I mentioned earlier, a little bit. Uh, it feels a little derivative. Like it doesn't feel as original and different. You know, I start thinking of Nine Inch Nails. I start thinking of Stabbing Westward. Uh, so even a song like Here is a good example of that. Three Doors is another. You also just sonically, it, it starts to put a stamp of the 90s to me on it. Um, it it's fleeting. Um, it's not consistent through the whole record. But when those moments do pop, they kind of pull me out of the space that he's created. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, now I'm back in the nineties um, versus the world that, you know, the rest of the record creates. That's the I, biggest thing for me.
2: I, I agree with you on, I, I noticed that I focused in on the guitar in, in here because it was just like Darren air, Darren Darren Like, so I was like, could you do a little bit something yeah. alternate like the only alternate only thing that was changing was the first time he did it the ch-ch was ch-ch, and then it was ch so it was like just a scrape difference in terms of the the pick hitting the scraping the strings and I would have liked just a little bit more ingenuity because it is that goes on for like two minutes of the song yeah uh, but that's a, a minor nitpick. I do agree with you. Yes, there is like a the it's just the tone of the guitar and then the drum loop sound just has that 90s God Lives Underwater slash you know yeah. whatever other industrial pop kind of you know not not heavy but like in that space um but it's not enough for me to like want to get rid of the song. Um same with 3 doors like i still think the songs are cool i just yeah those those tones didn't exactly age as well as maybe some other stuff
1: i'd be so curious to know if music for people qualifies is grandfathered in on a technicality because of when it was recorded because i'd be so curious to Well yeah hear it does the, your guys's response to music for people because it it's I I think you would enjoy it. It, I think you would find it less sort of pigeonholed in that 90s sound.
2: Is it vastly different?
1: (laughs) No, I, I, you know, that's the thing about vast is that it's, it's so much its own thing that even when it does vary, it's, it's painting with the same palette, you know what I mean? It's almost like, um, are you guys familiar with uncle at all? Yep. Okay so yeah if if you if you if every uncle record is like uncle doing a different genre like war stories is them doing rock and roll never neverland is trip hop uh where does the night fall is psychedelia sort of everything every vast album has kind of its own tone but is distinctly recognizable as being at least to my ear john crosby
2: I actually am interested in in checking out that record because um I like this record enough that it would make me want to go forward and and check some things out. So, and it is grandfathered in, it's a 2000 record. There's a nineties record that uh, gets it into the consideration. So if somebody wants to suggest uh, music for people, either via a website suggestion or picking it for their album next year, uh, they could go ahead and do that. Just saying that's, is there anything on this record that either doesn't work or a particular song that you've never liked or a particular song that maybe has stuff that has not aged well besides the lyrics that you've already mentioned?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really do think that um, as a whole, I, I, I just I love it so much. I'm I'm a completely biased uh, source here. I, I can't, you know, weigh in objectively because it, it was such a an important album to me as a teenager. Um, I I. I yeah, I I love it just totally and uncompromisingly. I think that even the songs on it that I, that I don't personally listen to all that much because I'm just like, I'm allergic to ballads, for instance, just generally as a rule, you know, if it's below a certain BPM, I I start to like not off zone out, but flames is just such a a beautiful song. Um, It's a gorgeous composition and he uh, scored it. I, mean, I don't know if "scored" is necessarily the right uh, term, but he he arranged the orchestral part, which um, I think is a. It might just be a cello. I can't remember, but he he's got this incredible intrinsic flair for for composition. Um, he he really is just a, a, an incredible classic songwriter. Uh, so I can appreciate a song like "Flames," even if I don't revisit it anywhere or near as often as I do Touched or Temptation, which are two of my favorite songs on the record. Pretty When You Cry, which, which still, you know, to this day, even at 33 as opposed to 16, um, it's, it's magnificent that that last verse before the chorus, it gets me every time when he's, you know, you get that turn. If you knew how much I loved you, you, uh, you would run away. Like that still nails me. I love that.
2: Is it weird, not, to, not that we have to talk about this, there are aspects of this album that reminded me of like the gutter twins. Yes. You know, like you mentioned temptation, like I, I could hear Mark Lanigan singing on this record.
1: Oh yeah. Very easily. It, it's, it's sort of the same autumnal palette in a way, this dark moody. Um, it, it, it's, it's spooky in, in a very alluring way. Right. Uh, sepulchral. Um, And yeah, it, it, there's a, there's a lot of the same DNA in there, for sure, at the very least emotionally.
2: All right, well, we need to get to our overall ratings on this record, and I know that our patrons had some thoughts. I'm interested to see how... I need to refresh, because I didn't refresh that. I know that might have been a vote in the last uh, minute there before I did my last refresh. No, there was not. So... Jay, where do you land? Worthy album, better EP, or decent single?
0: I'm at a Worthy album. I was surprised I enjoyed it as much as I thought. I I haven't listened to this in a long time, um, really probably since it came out. Um, I expected to uh, honestly forgot to not hold up from a production standpoint, but also just stylistically. I didn't think I would connect with it but i was wrong i enjoyed it quite a bit and i actually found myself drawn to some of the slower material that i think um when i originally listened to the record years ago didn't really pick up on as much or enjoy as much but um i just love the i love the arrangements i love the cello and the strings and the piano and all the layering and i just thought they were really well done and then again those samples really do a good job of in those slower songs, pulling you through, you know, creating a little twist and some juxtaposition and just these odd, unexpected moments that at least for me between that and his vocal performance, even though the tempos drop, I was still, you know, compelled. I was still there for the ride. So I can't say that about, you know, all records when the tempo drops, it's kind of hard with our short attention spans. (laughs) sometimes to stay engaged with those songs but uh i I enjoyed those as well so it's a worthy album for me
2: i concur worthy album i don't i it's hard for me to separate this record into like what an ep would be i understand what um i think it was who was it who said uh carl said about yeah i mean there's two halves sort of this record. And it was actually...
1: kind of a downshift on on the back end. I, I yeah, I get it. yeah,
2: and that's okay. I mean, I think that those are still compelling and interesting tracks that are a part of the whole. So to me, it's a worthy record, and I don't have any anything that I would kick off necessarily. I think my issues are just a little bit of production stuff here and there. Um, Marissa,
1: certainly a, a worthy album from me on on every possible front. Well,
2: um, our patrons agreed. 88% went with Worthy Album.
1: Is that my best score of it any album? It might
2: be. Because,
1: my- <laughs> man, I, I, have, uh, I have submitted some, uh, some clunkers to the union, I guess, or at least they've been gauged as such by, uh, by our, by our um, listener base, by the community. But I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised. I expected this to be a lot more polarizing than it was. And eighty-eight percent or eighty-nine percent, whatever it is, that's pretty resounding approval-wise.
2: That's what we call a landslide. And six percent went with better EP and six percent went with
1: nine inch decent... nails elevator music.
2: <laughs> yeah, nine inch nails elevator music.
1: <laughs> I'm never gonna get over that. I love that.
2: Uh so hey, you know, different uh What's that saying? Different strokes for
1: different folks? <laughs> or uh, or it, uh, Nine Inch Nails fax machine music, because somewhere else to be actually samples a very slowed down fax machine, believe it or not. There we go. Huh.
2: I did not know that. But now I'm going to start fax, uh, sampling fax machines. How see. do you know that, Marissa?
1: Um, because John Crosby released a, in 2005, um, the equivalent of a director's commentary, only it's an album commentary oh. and I bought it and listened to it. And he was like, oh yeah, that's uh that, that beat, that weird beeping sound that you hear and, and somewhere else to be, that's a fax machine. Then I slowed down. <laughs> there's also like no snare in that song. Like every, every song that that's there, there's something about it that you, that's unexpected in some way, even if it's, you know, a classic rock or 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 pop backbone.
2: Right. Gotcha. Well, thank you for bringing this record. I know that I think it's been talked about, but I don't know if it was ever in a poll before. Jay, was it ever in a poll? A vast record? I don't think so. But I don't think so. But we've known about this record, and it's kind of been on my mind like when is somebody going to bring that up? Cuz that was a that was a, a unique record for the time period. And then I thought, well, maybe Jay and I were the only ones that ever heard it. It
0: it did. Uh, Sorry, it wasn't a poll. Richard Waterman nominated it.
1: Yeah, I did this for Rich. Rich, I hope you enjoy.
2: (laughs) The Union United.
1: I like to see it.
2: Well, let's tell some folks uh, about where they also can go to uh, suggest albums. That's at digmeoutpodcast.com. You go to our Suggest an Album page, you can drop an album idea in there, and it'll end up in one of our monthly uh, elimination tournaments where we vote on nine albums a week, or sorry, yeah, nine albums a week, the top two move on to the final round at the end of the month, where six albums get voted on for a review. And uh, you can go to, like I said, digmeoutpodcast.com, and if you wanna vote on those records, You got to join us at Patreon, dmounion.com, digmeoutunion.com is where you go. You can vote on albums, uh, other stuff. You get free 80s episodes every other month, which I think we got to be doing one soon. I think this is an 80s month episode. I don't think I've even put a poll up yet. (laughs) I was wondering about that. I was like, should
0: we be doing an 80s episode right about
2: now? Uh, Yes, I will put up a poll (laughs) for that. Uh and uh it's also Patreon where you can read the box newsletter which you can sign up for at our website. It's a newsletter that goes out every week, two new reviews of 80s and 90s relevant music, movies, television shows, documentaries, books, uh plays, uh Broadway musicals, uh all kinds of stuff and it's a release calendar of all the new stuff coming out each week that is relevant to our podcast. And then lastly, speaking of the podcast, if you've enjoyed it, please consider going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us some positive feedback So Marissa, thank you again for joining us.
1: Thank on you
2: this, on this uh it's it, I'm saying end of summer, but it's not really the end of summer for everybody else. It's just the end of summer in my house because everybody's going back to school this week. <laughs> right but it's like summer's over it's it's done but- well
1: i'm I'm just so happy to have have finally uh knocked it out of the park with one of my submissions Definitely. Good, good note to end the summer on
2: good note to end the summer on so for jay i'm tim we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out